Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10 seasons show. Today we're talking about season 5, episode 26, A Song for My Mother. Mary, what happened this week? Dylan makes fun of Valerie for wanting a tattoo, and Val makes fun of Dylan for getting hypnotized for research purposes. But Dylan's just super skeptical about Charlie's and the main character in their screenplay's belief in reincarnation. But after like half of one hypnotherapy session, Dylan maybe changes his mind, and Valerie does not get Dylan's name tattooed on her left boob. I'm so conflicted about Dylan and Val because they have great chemistry. I literally, in my notes at one point, I wrote like, I weirdly like them together, and then I just couldn't continue the thought. Because I was like, I don't get why I like them together. Yeah, because clearly they're toxic for each other. And Dylan doesn't really like Valerie, I don't think. <laughs> no. It, like, it, even at the end of the episode when she gets the daisy on her shoulder and she's like, oh, you know, like, he loves me, he loves me not. And Dylan's like, he definitely loves you not. And then they yeah. bang it out anyway. Yeah, it's like... I guess maybe the answer to your question, why do I like them, is probably that they have become the quote-unquote relationship that was probably intended by the both of them. Because, like, initially, Valerie was, like, into Dylan for more than just to, like, sleep around with. And Dylan was always like, nah, girl, you're a lot. And I've dated a girl that was a lot, but we had this epic romance. I don't want to do that again. But slowly but surely, Val has kind of come down to the idea of, you know, maybe I don't want Dylan as a boyfriend. Maybe I do just want him as a my only friend who I also get benefits from. Yeah, I think that's kind of exactly what it is, is they've both come to that understanding with each other of, like, what it is. And I feel like Val, you know, kind of is – she stopped playing these, like, two sides of Val with him. Right. And they're actually, like, in a comfortable banter relationship, too, because it doesn't seem like Val is so worried if Dylan does or doesn't have feelings for her. Because she knows he does in a way. Because he wouldn't go with her to the tattoo shop and be talking to her about what's in the script and tell him that he's nervous or whatever or just you know, skeptical about the hypnotherapy thing. He mm -hmm. wouldn't be doing all the, those things if he didn't genuinely care for her. It's just in a very surface level. Yeah, it is definitely not a Brenda and Dylan, and it's also very much not a Kelly and Dylan. Right. But it's like yeah. kind of weirdly somewhat both of them, but not, if that makes sense. Like, She's Brenda Light, but it's still very much like a sexual relationship like Kelly and Dylan was. Very true. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. It's like they are dating, but they're not. I, right? I don't know. Right, like, I mean, I guess we could talk about the story because when you take someone to a tattoo shop and you say you want their artistic opinion and you're talking to them about getting this tattoo, like – you do want to bring a friend at the very least. Or at least someone whose opinion matters to you. Exactly. I do love 
when they're talking about the tattoo and Valerie, he's like, why do you want a tattoo? And so Valerie says, tattoos create a sensual mystique about a woman. And Dylan says, trust me, you got plenty of mystique. <laughs> yeah. I also thought that was such a um, a man writing for a woman situation. Like, Absolutely. I'm not saying in a lot of cases, like, women get tattoos because it makes them feel sexy, but also men think it's sexy. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but, like, I wouldn't say that's the number one reason that women go get a tattoo. (laughs) Well, and this does feel like a very early 90s, like, older generation view on tattoos. Mm -hmm. Like... I'm sure I've told you all this off mic. I don't remember if I told you on mic, but like my mother was furious when she found out I had a tattoo and she called my brother and was like, only sailors and drug addicts get tattoos. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And like, I got a train on my shoulder. Clearly I'm a drug addict. Like she was furious and she was like, she's never going to find a husband. She's destroyed her body. And like, that is basically how Dylan is acting right now. Oh, I never would have thought that Dylan motorcycle driving um, mad bad and whatever. Dangerous to know. Yeah, I never remember that line. (laughs) McKay is vehemently against tattoos. (laughs) Right? Like, I would definitely picture Dylan as getting, like, a Lord Byron quote on his bicep or something. Yeah. Or... He strikes me as the calf tattoo kind of guy, you know, like somewhere that not everybody sees it because he doesn't really wear shorts, but it's his, you know? I, mm-hmm. Yeah. Just never would have bought that. Brandon. Yes. Oh, would Brandon is very anti-tattoo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was interesting that he's so against it because especially like later on when they're talking again because at this point Valerie gets cold feet about it right so Mm -hmm. they're talking about it she wants his opinion ultimately she gets cold feet because she sees that someone else is getting one and she's like oh my god it might hurt like la 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 but later on when they're talking about it it almost feels now like she's just doing it because he doesn't want her to (laughs) which is not a good reason to get a tattoo but the banter's fun oh yeah when they're like this is definitely skipping ahead, but when they're in bed yeah. later in the episode and he's like, all right, you're going to get a snake and it's going to start up here on your shoulder and go all the way down to your butt. And then, oh my God, there's a dragon. Like that was cute as hell. I loved that so much. I almost wanted her to get exactly that. <laughs> I would have laughed so hard if she just showed up and like, I love the little heart with the Dylan on her boob prank that she pulled, but like. Yeah, if she showed up and had them, like, draw a face tattoo on her of a snake. And she was like, I was inspired. Would have loved it. I would have loved it. I mean, yeah, so let's do the tattoo piece first since we're just there. But, yeah, when she shows up later, she is so excited. And, like, you can tell she's like, I'm going to pull the best prank. (laughs) Like, she was such a 20-year-old here, you know? Well, and I loved every second of it. Like, she just walks into his house, turns and faces him, and says, unbutton. And he starts unbuttoning his own shirt. <laughs> yeah. Like, the all of it. was gold. It was so good. And then she's like, no, 
mine. And then like, yeah, Dylan's got it in his mind. He's like, okay, yeah, I'll unbutton your shirt. And then like one, two, and then he like pulls it aside. And then there's that little heart with Dylan on it and he flips. <laughs> I loved it. He was like, we are to find a doctor. There's got to be a laser somewhere in the city that can take that off of you. <laughs> like if, if Valerie was still on the whole like begging for Dylan's affection, like love, she would have been so brokenhearted by this whole scene. But this just shows you how far they've come in, in terms of like being on the same page about what is or isn't their relationship. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, she's like, dude, I'm totally kidding. It's a fake tattoo. And then shows the real one, which is great. Yeah. She just like takes off her jacket and turns around and is like, this one doesn't come off. Yeah. Yeah. Which I loved her little Daisy. It was so adorable and like so like little and feminine and it felt very like 90s tattoo to me. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Like it was such a Daisy, like, you know, no, no bones about it. It was a Daisy, but it was almost so Daisy that it reminded me of all of our old like Trapper Keepers and like Lisa Frank school supplies. (laughs) I'm like, somebody had an eraser that looked just like that. It made me think of this Barbie doll that I had. Like, it was Teen Skipper, and she came with tattoos that had glitter on them that you could stick to her and also that you could put on yourself. Oh, my God. And that was, like, the first thing I thought of. I was like, oh, my God, she's Teen Skipper. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay, but, like, what if one of the writers has a kid who had that, like, Barbie doll and was just like, just stick this on her. It's fine. I mean, it's possible. I'm, like, Googling when this doll came out. But, like, seriously, I'm so curious what went into this story now that we're talking about it where they decide that Val's going to get a tattoo and is it one that Tiffany and Thiessen already wanted? Is this Mm -hmm. actually a fake tattoo that, like, only Val has and not Tiffany? Right. I'm curious now. I know. I'm curious, too, because, you know, speaking of tattoos – in um, One Tree Hill, since I've been listening to the John McQueen's podcast, um, Chad Michael Murray's character, Lucas, gets a tattoo in season one on his right shoulder, and it's, like, right here. And the reason they gave him that tattoo there was because they were covering up his actual tattoo. And it was easier to paint that on than to try to cover it up all the time or make him wear sleeves, especially since he plays for the basketball team, things like Mm -hmm. that. But then they give... Joy's character Haley a tattoo as well uh, but it wasn't they but they asked like one of the fan listener questions from last week's episode was did you also have a tattoo as well or that they had to cover up or was that just painted on and she was like oh no honey that was painted on that's a tramp stamp <laughs> hey there's nothing wrong with tramp stamps no there isn't there really isn't but she said it was so funny how like you know they would forget to paint it on sometimes and luckily they never got caught with like continuity but what they did was like the you know was no fancy like makeup or paint or whatever for hers as opposed to chad's because chad's was a lot bigger hers Mm -hmm. is pretty small so yeah the whole tattoo thing's interesting i'm really curious to know if tiffany has a tattoo or not right like I think just because we're talking about this so in depth, I am going to try and keep an eye out for continuity. I mean, mm-hmm. how often do we see the back of her shoulder that I'm really well, going to remember often. this? <laughs> I mean, as long as she's banging Dylan. <laughs> for the rest of the show, if she's banging somebody, they're going to be like, no, no, you have to lay on your back. Yeah, right. 
I mean, they might. That's a good way to get out of it. I mean, really, like the continuity must have been a little bitch. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing, too, is like they mentioned that in the Drama Queens podcast about how continuity is often the first thing the viewer notices, like when it's wrong mm-hmm. and how you know they get so much so much feedback especially these days on social media and they're like how can you guys not notice this and they had to explain like yeah that's true but you got to think if you're making a show for like five six seven plus years there's just stuff that falls through the cracks because like that might not be your only you know show you're writing for or you're worrying about making sure the character as like a, a character grows rather than a tattoo or Mm-hmm. hair go you know hair going from one season to the next or whatever it is and I thought, I thought that was interesting because that's so true that's something I feel like I look at all the time is continuity and I'm like guys this is easy <laughs> and they're like no no it's not <laughs> well and especially these days where like not only is the show going to be on dvd on streaming services you can re-watch it and catch everything there's also podcasts like this or like the drama yeah. queens or office ladies where people can write in and actually have people who are on the show react to like, uh, excuse me, Meredith has different numbers of children every single season of The Office. <laughs> yeah. Which is like actually something they called out on Office Ladies very recently. And like they had a show Bible where they tracked all this stuff. And like mm. the amount of kids that Meredith had just like wasn't an issue. <laughs> That's so Here. funny. I mean, yeah, like some things are more important to keep track of than others so it is interesting yeah especially when they end up like shows end up doing a look back or Mm -hmm. a culmination of seasons past or something like that to see like wait a minute they don't remember as much as we hope they do (laughs) (laughs) no because we were all paying attention to the back tattoo exactly and Meanwhile, in this story, like Val is getting this tattoo and that's her piece in the story. Dylan is going to that hypnotherapist that he met at the pee pad at the movie premiere. Mm -hmm. It was Charlie's hypnotherapist. Dylan is going to meet with her and have a session because he thinks Charlie's script is unbelievable, which is kind of really funny to me that he's just like, this is an unreliable narrator and no one's going to buy this. I was like, it's science fiction. Right. Like you have to suspend belief in general when it comes to sci-fi. So having something that may or may not be true, that's kind of the point of the genre. (laughs) Right. Like he says when he's at the hypnotherapist's house that past lives aren't marketable. And I was just thinking – I don't know of a science fiction movie off the top of my head that has past lives, but there's a lot of like changing timelines stuff mm-hmm. that's very popular. Yeah. So, it, like, I'll say <laughs> maybe Charlie is just very ahead of his time. Yeah. Maybe Charlie came up with Flashpoint. <laughs> oh my God. You know, there is an episode of Charmed where. Phoebe has to deal with her past lives coming back and attacking her current self. And I'm just saying, past lives is marketable. I'm not saying. (laughs) I'm saying you're wrong, Dylan. And I think, too, like, you know, obviously Dylan is heavily biased because this is something that Iris McKay would think of and would believe Mm -hmm. in and practice and whatnot. And so he's like, nah, this isn't good. 
only because he's not interested in it or he thinks it's a crock because his mom does it. But yeah, if you think about all the things that have happened, even up to this point in cinema and television, if we're pretending that Beverly Hills 90210 is like exists in the real world, you absolutely would believe that reincarnation and past lives is possible. So it's totally Dylan's bias is my point. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, like even the first time that he meets the hypnotherapist, I feel like he is presented with all of these things that go against his beliefs and he's just trying to fight them. Like he gets to her house, her entire neighborhood has been destroyed by wildfires, but her house is still standing. Mm -hmm. And she's just like, I mean, part of it was luck. But if I'm being honest, I've I have survived fires in past lives. Which is such a concept. Like, it always amazes me, people who do believe in stuff like that, because, like, you're usually, it's usually an all or nothing kind of thing, mm -hmm. right? So she fully believes this, even though later on she's like, sometimes I'm skeptical, sometimes I question things, but, like, I, I'm pretty confident about this for the most part. And, yeah, Dylan's just looking at her like, okay, <laughs> let's move on. I mean, like, every quippy line in this episode is his. Like, he gets to her house and she offers him tea and she's like, oh, I have lemon zinger. And he goes, yeah, zing me. Mm-hmm. Loved it. And then later on in her kitchen, I don't remember if she calls herself this or he calls her the all-knowing guru of Malibu. See, I missed that. I probably was trying to write down something else, but that's a great, great zinger if it, if it was from Dylan. I think it was from Dylan. I was trying furiously to write all of this down because Dylan talks very fast when he does not believe in Charlie's script. Yeah. Well, and in general, like he, you can tell Dylan's very much a kind of a black and white guy. Like he doesn't really venture into the gray area much. So whenever he's confident about something, he's like all in. Mm-hmm. I mean, and even later in the episode when he goes to actually have, like, his hypnotism session, I think I want to call it, like, she's like, oh, yeah, stare at a point on the wall and we can get started. And he, like, crosses his eyes and raises his eyebrows and is like, oh, yeah, I'm staring. <laughs> yeah. He's such a little weirdo. He's a pain in the ass this episode. Like, luckily... <laughs> The hypnotherapist, like, finds it humorous and just, just going with the flow. She's like, ah, ha, ha, ha. well, you got to commit to this, buddy. Like, you know, it's very, like, okay, I'll, I'll humor you and let you get all of it out. But otherwise, like, she's not going to get his buy-in if she can't. If she just goes at him the way he goes at her, she's mm -hmm. not going to convince him to do it. But she does. She just, like, is like, ha, ha, you're funny. And then is like, okay, let's get serious. Let's commit. Imagine you're in an elevator, you're on the 32nd floor, take deep breaths, imagine you're coming down, and we'll we'll go on. We'll, you'll be fully relaxed. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I feel like she is the absolute perfect hypnotherapist for Dylan to have because, like, yeah, she goes along with his jokes and is like, okay, okay, you got it all out. Let's be serious now. And then, like, she doesn't even count very far down before he starts getting flashes of his coma dreams. Mm -hmm. And he's very honest with her. He's like, look, I had a near-death experience. I'm still having these dreams like a year later. And she's just like, look, I'm here. I'm here to help you. Like this this is stuff I need to know so that you can have these experiences and like discover and learn and grow within yourself. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then even to the point where she tells him, hey, next time we do this, let's let's go to your house so that you feel a little bit more comfortable, which is so intuitive of her to understand that that might be helpful for him. You know, if he is experiencing this big what-if type scenario um, for him, since he is so skeptical, then mm-hmm. yeah, being in a place where he's already comfortable, he's familiar, it's it's safe, all of that would probably help him. Yeah, absolutely. And especially like the second that he is like potentially believing in her practices and she's like, oh, well, this could like actually be bringing up trauma for you. Like, let's let's handle this delicately. Like, I do feel like if it was anyone like a little more like hippie and free spirited like his mom, he mm-hmm. would not have been willing to go with this woman. But she sounds a little more like the kind of level-headed that Dylan needs. Like he doesn't need someone that like really lives in their past lives. He just needs someone that believes in the past lives and is willing to like have the conversation with him. Yeah, I mean, I think it's um it almost seems like this is the difference between a person who gets hypnotized regularly and one who provides hypnotism you know like yeah she gives a very teacher vibe a very instructor vibe a very much like I've been there but I'm ultimately trying to help other people not a yeah man you got to try this it's so good it takes you on another level like you know hyping it up and that sort of thing yeah like there's a little more of like a scientific approach to it right Mm -hmm. okay yeah I get that so which would also explain why he seems to go along with her ideas more than Iris's. Right, exactly. And, yeah. you know, she doesn't he doesn't know her from Adam. So, you know, this is also somebody that clearly has done this enough, but isn't a quote unquote authority figure over him. Mm-hmm. Um and, and so much so, like literally later on, we talked about the Dylan and Val tattoo reveal, but then later on, Val comes out of the shower, Dylan's been sitting on the back porch he has a flower in his hand. I don't think, I don't think it was a daisy. It looks more like a weed, but Hey, daisies are (laughs) technically weeds. So (laughs) can't say it wasn't. Maybe he just pulled all the petals off trying to see if Val really loves him. Um, (laughs) But she comes out to talk to him and Dylan still says like, he doesn't like the idea of getting hypnotized mostly because he doesn't trust anybody. Um, But he's actually apparently starting to think a little bit more on reincarnation. And that thought, that final thought is spurred on because Val, interestingly enough, tells him something her father always said, which this is like one of the few times that she mentions her father in a good way, or at least Mm -hmm. in a, in a um, non-traumatic way, I guess you could say, because she says that he always said that, you know, life, basically life is short. So you want to live it up or whatever. It's essentially carpe diem. Um, yeah. And so I thought that was an interesting like way into Dylan kind of sharing that he's starting to think a little bit more about this whole reincar- reincarnation business. Yeah. I I did think it was very interesting when Val brings up her dad in, yeah, like you said, a non-traumatic way. And I kind of got stuck on that just from the other storyline, which we'll talk about in a minute, where, like, we're talking about a parent who has mental illness and is, like, is not taking care of themselves and the kid who has to deal with the aftermath of that. And, like, yeah, that Val has at least gotten to a point in her life where she can just talk about the goodness 
in her dad yeah. and not just like constantly dwell on how his life ended. Yeah. And that's a good point because if we're equating it to the other storyline or at least trying to match it up, it almost makes me think that Val's dad was a little bit more open about his mental illness or at least about things that he was struggling with or maybe he had a close enough relationship with Val to divulge information or something like that. We don't, obviously we'll never know, mm-hmm. but it just makes you think that it was a, at least a little bit more well-known, at least in the, in the Malone family. It, it also kind of makes me wonder if she and David are going to end up being friends. Like if her way into the friend group, like she starts with Dylan and then she's going to start to get to know David who like already is like, you know, kind of siding with her with the whole pee pad thing with Ray. And then now like they kind of have this connector of like parents who have their own inner demons. Like, I just Mm -hmm. wonder maybe they, maybe this is like kind of starting to show parallels and like making them friends. I don't know. Yeah. No, Val just has to get into the friend group. She has to. (laughs) Yeah. She's like tried, she's tried every door thus far and yet is, has yet to find one that's unlocked. Yeah. I just, this is like the one episode where Val being on the complete outside actually worked out for them. And it's because half of the cast is not in this episode. I was just thinking about that. Literally, no Brandon, no Kelly, no Steve, um, no No Claire, no Jesse, no Claire, no Jim, no Cindy. I think that's like it's a lot of people that aren't in this. It's only David, Donna, Ray, Mel, Val, and Dylan. That's it. Yep. Yep. Which is a lot of people. But when you think about the cast we usually have to incorporate, that's nothing. We don't even get Nat. <laughs> I don't understand. He's contractually obligated to show up in every episode and say one line. <laughs> yeah. He should I'm sue. I'm curious. He should sue. <laughs> Man, what would he think about Dylan getting hypnotized or Val's tattoo? Oh my God. <laughs> what if they had that scene at the pee pad where she shows up and she's like, unbutton. They're like, uh, I'm sorry, we're in a diner. There's a hot fryer right there. <laughs> you put that away, ma'am. <laughs> this is a workplace hazard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, Nat. I do wonder now how many episodes has Brandon not been in? Because I feel like even well, when he's busy and like directing and having these like heavy arcs, he still at least shows up. Yeah, it's true. It is weird to not see Brandon. It's not as weird to not see Kelly, although I think we've only had one episode the whole season that she's not been in it. And it was, I'm sorry, the whole series thus far. And it was this season. Um, We've had Andrea out. We've had Steve out. We've had Donna out, I think, even though I know she's in this episode. But I'm just thinking about people who have not been in episodes. I honestly don't know that we have not had Donna. Take that out of a double negative, and that means... I think we've always had Donna. There we go. <laughs> I think so, too. Yeah, I'll have to check their IMDb's and see how many episodes they're all credited on, because I know, like, some people are insignificantly more, but then mm-hmm. it gets weird, because, like, we know Brandon doesn't make it all 10 seasons. I think, like, Dylan leaves and comes back, or 
It's going to get yeah. weird, but yeah, it's going to get weird. I do. I'll see if there's like a Wikipedia article that's got like episode counts by season or something. Yeah. Th- this information is somewhere. Yeah, it, it has to be. Anyway. But yeah. What else? Yeah. Mary, you want to take us to Portland? Yes. And David <laughs> is going to follow me there, but not yeah. to get in the way of Donna and Ray's time together. He's there to see his mom, Sheila. Except all he does is manage to get in the way of Donna and Ray's time together when he finds out that Sheila was fired from her job and stopped paying rent at her apartment and got arrested for drunk and disorderly conduct. But that last thing was like six weeks ago and David needs help finding his mom. Donna's there to support him at every step, but Ray doesn't like that and gets physical with Donna during an argument over it. Donna forgives him when Ray says he'll lend David his truck to search for David's mom. Mel meets David in Portland the next day and reveals the truth about David's mother's mental state. They find Sheila depressed and living on the street and take her to get the help she needs. David promises his mom that he will be there to take care of her from now on. So we were literally just talking about how half the cast is not in this episode. And if there is ever going to be an episode where there's only like four main characters, this is it. Like, yeah. David and his mom deserved all the screen time they got. Oh, yeah. I think this may have been one of, if not the best, episode for Brian Austin Green that we've seen thus far. Right? Like, I feel like we're going on such a roller coaster with him where we're like, we hated him at first. Then we started loving him. And we're like, oh, my God, he's awful. And now I'm like, oh, but like. Brian Austin Green is really good at David. Yeah, and I think we just finally see some range from him. Mm-hmm. I think we've seen ends of the spectrum. And this time you finally get to see a real character moment, which you would have thought we would have got more of that during his drug use moments, his crystal meth moments. But we really didn't. We got a lot of like erratic behavior and a lot of defensiveness and things like that. But I don't really think we actually got that many really, really good character moments. And this is like actual like work into David and why he is the way he is and his childhood and his parents and things like that. So I was very appreciative of Brian. Like when I saw him cry and his little eyes get red, I was like, Oh, oof, David, you're going to make me cry. (laughs) Yeah. And like, yeah, speaking of continuity, them bringing back up his meth use from last season and his dad being like, I was really scared that you were having an episode like your mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, no, it was – it explains a lot about the reaction from Mel. And maybe, you know, maybe they added this in later and – I think they did know. because yeah. I, I feel like if they knew that they were going to give Sheila like this – to deal with and that this would be like in David's uh like medical history kind of a thing like I feel like they would have brought this up before because Mel at one point in this episode is like you need to stay away from drugs because it could like trigger our mental illness in you that like is hereditary Mm -hmm. I feel like Mel probably should have brought that up while David was doing meth to be like yeah this is incredibly dangerous and not a year later Right. And, and, you know, maybe it was a decision. We're just, again, pretending this is in the real world. 
a decision mm-hmm. that Mel made to not further trigger, you know, or cause a trigger. Like maybe if the meth had not triggered something, maybe him bringing mm-hmm. it up would, you know, it's kind of like the um, self-fulfilling prophecy or something. But yeah, yeah I do think it, it, it explains, but doesn't explain Mel's behavior when all that was going down. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think this is all very interesting. I totally understand Sheila and Mel making the decision to like not tell David about this as long as it's under control. Mm-hmm. But yeah, at some point when you get older and like very specifically with mental illnesses that can present themselves in your 20s or like in your 30s, like this is around the time that you should have to tell him and he shouldn't figure it out by finding out his mother is missing. Yeah, I think – yeah. Yeah, I kind of want to start from the beginning here because there's like yeah. a point I want to make later on that is okay. like around what you just said. But – yeah, so, you know, Ray's in the, at the airport with flowers. He's in a hurry to meet Donna. They see each other. It's not quite the reunion I was expecting. Like, it was kind of lackluster. Right? <laughs> I was like, haven't hasn't it been, like, a while and, like, some pretty emotional highs and lows? Like, you guys should be so excited to see each other. And they're just like, oh, hi, Smooch. Yeah. How are you, Smooch? Instead of, like, a full-on, like, like Donna should have jumped into Ray's arms kind of a thing. A hundred percent. Like Ray would have dropped the flowers on the ground and like caught Donna and she would have her cute giggle going on. Like, and then Ray would pick up the flowers and she'd be like, oh, sorry. And he's like, these are for you. Like, whatever. You know, like I'm writing it in my head as we speak. And (laughs) this wasn't it. And I feel cheated by it. Right. And even so, like they're doing that. And then David comes out and just walks over and it's like, hey, how you doing? And I was like, I mean, he is 100% interrupting this reunion, but, like, was this really a reunion? Like, this right. is fine. Exactly. And even David's not, like, we. I mean, I think it was last episode when he was trying to be coy with the phone when Ray called or whatever, and that's when he sparks the idea that he's going to go visit his mom in Portland. But, like, today, or at least in the context of the episode, he is not, like, I'm going to con them or try to like, you know, be whatever. Like he's like very much, you won't even know I'm here. Like I like fully intending to go see his mom. Yeah. This is like the wildest plot that I think anyone could ever have where they're like, Oh my God, I'm in love with my ex-girlfriend. I'm just going to follow her to another city, but then not hang out with her. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know what Ray doesn't have the flight back. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm going to get, like, two hours alone with her on the flight and then, like, any time from LAX to and from the beach apartment, and that's when I make my move. <laughs> yeah. It'll, she'll never see it coming. And to be fair, Ray did not see it coming. Like, no. Donna did not mention to him that David was flying up with her or that he'd be, like, staying in the same hotel as them or any of this mm-hmm. stuff. Like, well, I guess he probably was planning on staying with his mom when he surprised her, which also a wild leap. Like, if I just surprised my mom after not talking to her for three or four months, I feel like she'd be like, I mean, yeah, you can stay on my couch, but, like, I have shit to do. Right, right. Like, this is the, the, the like, romanticized or glamorized surprise visit that just isn't really grounded in reality <laughs> because you can't just – fly across, well, I guess, the coast 
to see somebody and expect them to just drop everything and like they got they might have yeah. to get PTO approved. I was gonna say, <laughs> I'm pretty sure like if I was just like, can I just have this week off on Monday? I feel like my mm-hmm. boss would be like, no. Yeah, I don't just, think so. <laughs> that that's not enough time. Right. I mean, I guess maybe if your kid shows up, but like. This is this is a different world in 2021 where like I am just accessible with my laptop and my phone and depending on what David's mom actually does like she is just going to sign off and disappear yeah. for a week. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so Ray's already on edge because David is just present and he's like welcome to Portland and then we get the credits and instead of going immediately back to Ray and Donna we're back to David and he's getting out of a cab alone, I might add. Um, and he goes to this place called Portland Fidelity Incorporated to look for his mama, Sheila Silver. But the receptionist there or, you know, security, whomever this woman is, doesn't, hasn't heard of her. Um, and David luckily remembers who her boss is slash was. And she's like, oh, I do know him. And yeah, then we get like, I didn't love this next scene. Like it's it's an, a cut immediately to her boss talking ex-boss. about Sheila's quality. Yeah, ex boss talking about Sheila's personality. Yeah, this was very interesting. I will say, uh, I watched this episode like on the TV, not on my iPad with my headphones in. So John was in and out of the kitchen for a little bit, and while I was watching this scene where David is talking to this woman at the front desk. John is just like, she can't tell him where his mom works. He's like, she can't just send him up. What if he's like a belligerent ex-boyfriend? What if he's dangerous? She needs to call this woman and she can choose to come down or not. This is um, 2021 (laughs) versus 1995-6. But yeah, David ends up going up to this guy's office who starts telling him all this stuff about his mom and is like, oh yeah, we had to fire her. Like- it's just very interesting. I feel like most bosses would just be like, she doesn't work here anymore. Right. Like, they wouldn't take a meeting, you know, whatever, and say, oh, yeah, she was funny when she wanted to be. Yeah. They wouldn't be, like, pulling out her tardy slips. Yeah. Or her son. So weird. But apparently, yeah, Sheila didn't show up for work that often, so she was fired And so David leaves, takes another cab to another building, which is where she might live. She sees, or he sees rather, her name on the little, like, I don't know what you call that thing. The... The buzzer thingy. Buzzer name. The um, fuse box for apartments. (laughs) Fuse box. (laughs) That thing. And he, he hits it, and it, and they let him in immediately. So we're like, oh, cool, she's here. Nope, she's not there. Yeah, it turns out like her name is still on the little buzzer plate, but other people have moved in. (laughs) But other people have just moved in, and I guess they just haven't gotten around to replacing her name yet. And they even open the door, they talk to him, they're like, oh, no, we just moved in. She doesn't live here anymore. You can go try the building manager. So David goes downstairs to find the building manager, and he says, you know, hey, I'm looking for Sheila Silver. He's She's my mom. And this is where the building manager says that she's behind on two months' rent. 
or she's behind on four months' rent. She got kicked out two months ago. She's got all this mail because there is no forwarding address. And basically, like, if I see her, I'm filing a lawsuit against her. And the first thing he says to David is, your mother's a deadbeat. I'm sorry, sir. That is rude. It's so rude. And I swear all these people look at David and see how tall he is and see his facial hair and, like, forget that he's a kid. Yeah. For like, sure. They're, like, they're all treating him like he is a full-grown adult and also being assholes. That's the thing is, like, I just would hope if, I don't know, I just hope people would react differently or at least, like, read the room. Like, clearly, clearly David doesn't know where his mom is. And he says, I'm looking for my mom. Like, even if you can't tell by his body language, he's literally saying, like, I don't know where she is. Can you tell me? It's mm-hmm. literally like the book, Are You My Mother? <laughs> <laughs> Or are you I'm, a building manager? Fix your fuse box, sir. <laughs> I mean, this really feels like like a law and order or a CSI or something where yeah. like the cops show up asking for questions and people are like, oh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. I remember too many details, except this time it's a kid and you wouldn't talk to a kid the way you talk to investigators. Yes, exactly. It's like, yes, that's a perfect way to say that. Yeah, because if David – were somebody else then you can say all those things but not to her son like geez well and even so the next scene is at the hotel that donna and ray are staying at and they're making out on the bed and ray makes some comments about wanting to rip off donna's clothes and whatever never leave the bed blah 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 but someone ends up knocking on the door and it's david and ray is pissed he is so mad. He's literally like, just get rid of him. Like, yeah, sir. But but then when Donna opens the door and David literally says, like, I didn't know where else to go. My mom is missing. I'm scared. Like, this is when Ray needs to get over himself and be helpful. Like, once again, this is a scared kid looking for his mom and not like a full grown man trying to get in the way of your relationship. See, and I think that's an important point, too, because as viewers, it's very easy to forget because these are, you know, in their 20s, sometimes 30s, playing upper teen to early 20s kids. Um, So it's very easy to forget that these are, no, 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 they're very, they're still being raised, kind of, you know, in a lot of ways. They're still growing, they're still learning, they're still maturing. And yeah, it's nice when we get to see I call them character moments, but especially this kind of character moment where you see that this is still a little boy. Like this is a little boy who is scared because he doesn't know where his mother is. Like that, how pure is that? You know? And like you said, Ray just needs to get over himself because later on, Donnie even points out if you were in his shoes, you would be acting the same exact way. And we will get to Ray's reaction to that when we get there because there's a lot to say in that scene. Exactly. Because uh, there's a few things, you know, David comes in, he's got all of this back mail from his mom, and he says it includes alimony checks from his dad that she just hasn't been cashing for months. And this is when Donna's also worried, and she's like, wait, hasn't your dad realized this too? Like, what is happening here? Mm-hmm. And then we find out that, yeah, David hasn't talked to his mom since Christmas Eve, and she was doing fine then. And Ray gets real snippy about it and is like, mm-hmm. you haven't talked to your mother in a few months? 
which is a weird comment in a, in a lot of different ways because like on the one hand Ray is not being sensitive to a mother-son relationship when he literally lives with his mother. Yeah, like and to Donna's point, if something happened to Luann, Ray would do something about it. Mhm. And he would welcome help to find Luann. But like he's refusing to help. He's like, "No, I have to go to the club. I have to do a sound check." And when Donna says, I'm going to stay with David and help him find his mom, I'll meet you there later, Ray is like, ugh, like I have a choice. Right. And just storms out and is so dramatic. Anyway, but then luckily David had opened some of her mail and they get kind of like a lead on the case. Yeah, but they have to keep taking cabs everywhere because – uh, Donna wants to like drive Ray to the club and then borrow his truck so that they can cover more ground in Portland and Ray is just like I will absolutely not let anyone borrow my truck David can afford a rental like he is going out of his way to be rude and then has the gall to be like you can't be mad at me I just want to spend time with you yeah it's not very convincing Ray like you're just trying to be possessive It's not. It's going really badly for Ray. And I know, like, I can see it already that the show has decided that David realizes he's back in love with Donna and they've already made Ray cheat on Donna. So, like, that relationship has an out. They're just, like, making Ray dig his grave little by Mm -hmm. little by little so that the viewer hates him. Because I even think on this show they're like, cheating isn't bad enough. Other relationships have come back from cheating. We need to make Ray the worst. Oh, 100%. And we know with this show, it has a track record of when the show decides you're supposed to hate someone, they you will hate, you them. hate them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say if this show does anything, it is they know how to make you hate someone. Yeah. They're very intentional when they want to be. So David and Donna get a cab go to this bar where the bartender confirms that they mailed out stuff to all of their regulars, which I think is hilarious to me. Like it's like an email blast, but actual mail. And it's like, how did you collect their addresses? (laughs) I have no, like, yeah. Do you think they signed up their addresses or like, give us your address and you'll get a free drink. Like literally like emails where you sign up for the email blast and you get free chips and salsa. Or did they have somebody on the bar staff to literally look at all of the receipts for the names and look them up in the yellow pages and just hope oh if there are duplicates, they're just going to send them to all of them. <laughs> they have one of those like free business lunch things where you drop in your business card, except <laughs> for some reason, everyone's business card has their home address on it. <laughs> Not their work address. <laughs> so... Anyway, like, while they're there, this random person who's drinking at the bar, like, calls him over and is like, hey, I, I, I might know this person, but then swindles David into buying him a drink to I know. tell him where, like, where he last saw her. This is absolutely, like, somebody wanted to write a cop show and then just rewrote it for teenagers. <laughs> like, this is very much someone talking to a private investigator and being like, no, you got to make this worth my while. Mm-hmm. But he ends up telling them that he has seen Sheila recently and she was setting up shop in a hotel. 
which is a weird way of saying she moved into a hotel, which ironically, this group of people would not bat an eyelash at. I know. They're like, oh, yeah, my friend. Oh, and Valerie did that. <laughs> we know several people who have lived in hotels. This is not this is not new. Mm-hmm. But they go to the hotel and David goes in. He starts asking about it. Apparently, she was living at the hotel, but she isn't anymore. And she was arrested for disorderly conduct and public drunkenness. And this is where Donna says, you have to call Mel. For sure, which is the right call. I mean, to be fair, probably should have called him earlier. But yep. definitely, if not then, now is the appropriate time because no longer is it a case of, you know, they just can't find her. But now it's like, oh, she could be in trouble. She could be in jail. She could There, there could be something actually wrong. Um, so... You know, then David and Donna make the right choice again and go to the police station, and which is where David calls Mel. He says he'll be there tomorrow. Um, but then an officer comes over, shows David a picture, presumably her mugshot when she mm-hmm. was booked, and then has to tell David, like, because he just now reported it, they then have to wait 48 hours before declaring her a missing person. And he's like, well, she hasn't been, you know living in her apartment for months. And yeah, he just points out, well, nobody told us. Yeah. And he goes further and says that when she was arrested, they didn't call anybody because it's not their official responsibility to do such. And like nobody ended up pressing charges against Sheila. So she was released anyway. So like in like the black and white terms of the law, the police did everything they were supposed to do, which Unfortunately, it's very frustrating to David because he's like, we could have helped her earlier if someone had just told us that she needed it. Right. Yeah, because obviously Sheila has not asked for help at this point. So, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But the cop does suggest that they go and start checking homeless shelters. Mm-hmm. And at this point, Donna is supposed to go to Ray's show, but she's like, absolutely not. Like, your mom is legitimately missing. Like, the cops mm-hmm. can't even help you find her. I'm staying with you. Yep. She calls Ray, who screams at her. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't even I didn't even write down what he said because I'm like over it. <laughs> I don't remember. It was something along the lines of like, I've told people that you were gonna be here. I was so excited. I'm playing two sets. And like I understand he'd be upset, but literally all of that is negated from a human being is in danger. Yeah, for sure. And he's sorry, Ray. It. You have five songs. She's heard them all. Mm-hmm. Multiple times. Multiple times. Even though we haven't, we know she has. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe there's a camp out there that's like, justice for Ray. We just, this could have been our chance to hear him perform and Donna just won't let it happen. <laughs> I'm telling you, there is an alternate universe where Ray does not actually exist. Yep. We've never seen him perform. He doesn't really talk to anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if only. If only. But yeah, so we get a really um, tough scene, the next scene, because they do Mm -hmm. go to one shelter in Portland and speak to the person in charge who says that, you know, she's not sure about, you know, who's in the picture, but there's a lot of turnover. So Mm -hmm. go ahead and like take a look. And man, like I can't imagine having to do this. This is so uncomfortable and sad. You know, to have to walk around looking for your mother. Well, and I think it's 
very interesting that this show made a statement about homelessness in the 90s. Like, I feel like there it is still at a point now that we are trying to rewrite the narrative of, like, not everybody can get into shelters and you can't always stay at shelters. And, like, mm-hmm. this is not, like, there's a lot of conversation to be had that I am definitely not equipped to talk about. But I do think it's very uh, – I'm appreciative that mm-hmm. the show, like, did show going into a homeless shelter and it's it's women with kids. It's just people that need help. It's not, like – it's not meant to be scary. Right. Mm-hmm. It's uncomfortable in the way that you – you're forced to – take a look at your own life and see what privilege you have and what you've been given and how your life goes, but how easily it could all change. Um, you know, you, you get very like humbled by an mm-hmm. experience like that. Yeah. And they end up coming on someone who is facing away from them, but she has blonde hair and David thinks it might be his mother. He bends down and she turns around and it's not her. And the next thing we see is they're at, like, a 24-hour copy place making missing posters using mm-hmm. her mugshot. And, like, David is having this whole introspective moment of, like, I can't believe I didn't come visit her. I can't believe I didn't see the signs. Like, he's blaming himself for everything that's happening. And it is heartbreaking. It is. And, th- and I think this is really where he got me a lot because in the previous scene, you know, he was – you could almost see the sigh of relief but also the – this is still sad in his Mm -hmm. eyes, you know? And then this next scene, he's literally feeling guilty for it all and putting it back on himself. And again, he's still just a kid or at least a very young adult dealing with the fact that he's ashamed of himself for not picking up the phone, for not checking in, for not coming to see her when he, uh, when she asked him to. And it's just really sad. And again, kudos to Brian Austin Green here. I know. And like that moment where he admits that he was relieved when she left and all this kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. And you know that like he's feeling guilty about that now. And like these are things that adults work through in therapy for years of just like their relationship with their parent. And David is having to think through all of these emotions real time as a kid, like with no guidance whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And I just feel so bad for him. I know. I know. And it makes me – I'm so conflicted about the David character like we talked about mm-hmm. because at times I'm like, he's a good character. Like, we just don't get enough – it's almost kind of like in football where you give your running back the football and he gets like two yards and then he gets four yards and then he gets two yards, but then he gets ten and then he gets eight and then he gets six and it's like – He just needs the time to really get revved up and to like, you know, experience it. It's almost like we're getting these little pieces of David and these little storylines of David. And I know it's because it's big ensemble cast that this is the way it has to be. But imagine if David were as important as Brandon, you know, like I feel like if we got more and more David, we probably wouldn't be as conflicted. And there's just so much content here that we get where it's like whiplash. Or like sometimes we hate him, sometimes we love him, sometimes we hate him, but we see things there. And yeah, I just feel like I'm just so conflicted because I think he has good stuff. Well, and I think, you know, kind of going off of that is like we do get stuff. We get really good stuff. And then like, you know, he has a really bad episode where he sides with an accused rapist who 
was not a rapist, but was wrong on multiple other levels in Mm -hmm. violence against women. And David sided with him. And we don't even see like something where he comes out of that. Like everyone just gets over it. Yeah. And it's like little stuff like that. Like he had a bad week in that episode. And then he has like a really amazing week this time where you see like a lot of emotional vulnerability and growth in David. Mm-hmm. And just really not looking forward to that next bad week that he has. I know. I know. Ugh. Same. Yeah. Because, I mean, so the next episode, the next scene, they go back to uh, – presumably they've gone around Portland and passed out all of these missing posters. They get back to the hotel. David goes to his room. Donna goes to her room. And Ray is just – yelling at Donna about how she stood him up for his show tonight. I don't remember what she says to him first, but at one point he just says, life's a bitch, and he throws his shoe at the wall. Mm-hmm. And keeps and yelling. Like, and Donna's just like, I can't believe you can be so heartless. Well, yeah, like even when she says, you know, what would you do if it was your mom? And he screams like, leave my mother out of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Donna's trying to take up for the fact that not only did David save her when, you know, she was being attacked, but he's also one of her oldest friends. And she's like, I'm not going to abandon him. He And then, like, she says it twice. She says, like, he's one of her closest friends. She's not going to leave him. And then he saved my life. I can't just desert him. So it's both... She almost feels like both a responsibility as well as um, an obligation in a way. But she's okay admitting that because, like, it's David. It's not just some random person. Mm -hmm. Well, and this does feel very Donna to me of, like, Mm -hmm. she's just going to say these things. Like, she doesn't feel like she has to be cagey about how she's like, no, this is one of my really good friends. I'm going to help him. And, like, this is also just the way that she acts. She's just a very caring person. Mm-hmm. And Ray just keeps attacking her. He's like, well, why don't you go across the hall and have sex with him? Oh, I forgot. You don't have sex with anybody. I could have gone through the TV at that On, And, like, it just – it just gets – honestly, the first time that he threw his boot at the wall, I was like, that's not how you react when you talk to people that you love. Yep. That is like, not love. It is not. It's not. And, like, that is step one. And then he starts screaming at her. And then at one point he throws her on the bed and then when she tries to leave, he ends up pushing her very forcefully against the door. She runs out, runs over to David's room and locks herself in the bathroom. I think it's just important to see the behavior that's being modeled here, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's very much – how do I want to say this? It very much has the trappings of – a domestic abuser mm-hmm. because I don't know if there's like a technical technical term for it, but it's that thing of where Ray gets slowly and slowly and slowly more controlling, more angry, more rage, more like rages more, but mm-hmm. then he, it's no longer just rage. It's then physical. So like you said, when he throws a shoe, he literally like pushes her back onto the bed and then once and, – and, and yes, he slams her against the door as well. But then it's also the controlling aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like the yelling, then the physical, then the control. Because when he pushes her back down, down on the bed, 
he says that she's not going anywhere unless or until he tells her to. So now he's just trying to control her. And lastly, all of those like points of abuse come to a head when he throws her against the door and he immediately like changes back into no 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 that was an accident. And then yeah, later that's on, not me. I'll, well yeah, yeah, that's not me. Later on, he's like that's not me. I just love you so much. Yeah, it is like the classic definition of an abusive relationship. It's like, I don't know if this is the exact technical term, but it is that escalation where like Mm -hmm. there is the manipulation at first to think you're in this loving relationship and then slowly and slowly and slowly this person reveals their true self. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, you feel trapped in this thing. I mean, so, you know, she runs across the hall, Ray ends up going right after her and David lets him in, which scared me at first. But then David's like, I don't know what happened. She just came in here and shut the door. Yeah. And Ray gives David the keys to his truck so they can use it to search for Sheila and walks out. And this is when Donna comes out and Ray apologizes. And actually, I like the physical aspect of it, you see him put his hand on the back of her neck and lead her into the bedroom. Yep. Like, yep. it makes me so nervous. And David does touch on it later in the episode, which makes me feel better. But I was so stressed out. I was like, David, I know you have stuff going on in your life right now, but you really need to be concerned about your friend running in here and locking the door to get away from this guy. And then immediately like turning her back over to him, sort of. You know, it's not David's fault, obviously. It's not. It's really not. And – he does touch on it later in the episode. Like I do want to mm-hmm. give him that credit that he asks her point blank about it later in the episode. Yeah. But in the moment I was just very scared for Donna, which is like hard because you're also really worried for David because as soon as they leave his room, he starts going back through his mom's mail some more reminding you that his mom is missing. Yeah. It's almost kind of like they're, like I don't know if it's misdirect is the right word but it's like they're like we just want you to have this information but don't focus on it right now you know Mm -hmm. like we like let's keep the main thing the main thing um because yeah then it's the next morning where Mel arrives at the airport and Donna and David are there to meet him so again note that Donna is not with Ray she has Mm -hmm. chosen to be with David regardless of what happened last night yeah um and at this point, like, Mel is ready to talk to David about what's happening. So, you know, Donna says that she's going to go get the car you know, or the truck. You guys, you know, get your stuff, like, whatever. So this is where Mel reveals that Sheila has been diagnosed with manic depression and she's been on lithium since David was little, which lithium is also used to treat bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. So I, I imagine that's probably about where they're going with this, too, but um, I'm not a doctor so i can't say that with full confidence just throwing it out there that manic depression and bipolar disorder are the same thing they're just different terms perfect like they used to use manic depression and now they've like moved into bipolar disorder type one and type two got it okay so maybe this was like a dsm four and now we're in the dsm (laughs) five or whatever the classification of just anyway doesn't matter it is what it is. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, very important to point out in this conversation that, you know, David is really upset 
that nobody told him about this, but Sheila didn't want to tell him about this. Like she Mm -hmm. was on medication that worked for her. Like I think Mel even says, you know, she hated taking it, but she knew it was the right thing to do. So she did it for you. Like, yeah. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, she has her mental illness like under control. She has found the right meds. She has found the right way to treat what she needs to treat. And they don't need to, I guess, burden David with this or like give David a reason to like be concerned. Right. And, and I guess, obviously I'm not a parent yet, so I don't know what I would do in that situation, but at least, you know, Sheila decided she made a choice and Mel supported her at the Mm -hmm. time. Which, yeah, I think, you know, that is a conversation that parents have to have about their kid of like, you need to discuss how you're going to handle this and how you're going to treat the kid. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it can go a lot of different ways. Like my family was always very upfront about like physical hereditary stuff just because a lot of like cancer and like diabetes and like all these things are very like physical Mm-hmm. were hereditary through my family. So like I have a lot of like medical history of all these things to keep an eye out for. I think they were less upfront about mental health backgrounds. Mm-hmm. But I also think that's like kind of of the time. Like people mm-hmm. didn't talk about mental health the way that we do now. Like we're still trying to normalize it, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. So, I I would agree. I mean there's still stuff that I can only um, in my family, I can only assume or mm-hmm. what's the word infer, uh, based on behavior, based on just knowledge, you know, these days being an adult, things like that. But it was the same exact way in my family. We talked about the fact that my, you know, grandmother had lung cancer, even though that's not hereditary, it's still a thing. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my other grandmother had, um, ovarian cancer. So I had to, to make, I have to make sure my doctor knows that, like all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And yeah, but it it is wild, the stigma for mental illness and mental health, because it's still, I mean, you go to the, you go to your, you know, general practitioner to treat your body. Why can't you treat your brain the same way? Right. Right. So, well, and even in this scene, David says, and I quote, the cops say mom is crazy and like, don't use the word crazy anymore. Like, yeah, that it's just changing in the times. Like, people said, like, oh yeah, she's crazy, and like you talk about mental, you know, illness differently than you do now. Like, even David, literally in this moment where he's just found out that his mom is sick, is like, they say she's crazy, right? Like, she's right. not crazy. She is sick, and she was managing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. I mean, just to piggyback on that, like, this is a, to be clear, this is a good scene and this is a good conversation. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, The language at times was problematic, but in the lens of 2021, not in the lens Mm -hmm. of 1995. Um, Yeah. Because ultimately, you know, as Mel's explaining kind of what changed, you know, she was taking her medicine, she was dealing with it, she was coping with it, you know. Um, she stopped taking her pills when David was away at a summer camp um, and and had an episode, and it was a pretty significant one. And so the hard part there was that when David got home, 
it was as if nothing happened at all. And so all this to say is, is when it got to this moment, even if some of the language was problematic in the lens of today, mm-hmm. at, ultimately it was handled well. And the gist was that she didn't want David to know and be burdened. Mel tried to protect him. Ultimately, Mel wants to get her some help and help David help her and all of that. Yeah. Well, and I really love how they handle Mel in all of these scenes where, you know, David asks him about the alimony checks Mm -hmm. and Mel is like, I was honestly really hoping that she found somebody else to take care of her. And I was scared that I was going to get sucked into this again, which, yeah, when you are someone who loves someone who has a mental illness and like you've watched them struggle, it's really hard. So it like, is, and yeah. I I just totally appreciate where Mel came from here, and I just really liked that they had this conversation, and I loved that Donna was just like, I'm going to go get the bags, and Mel was like, you and I need to sit down and talk. For sure, yeah. There's just so many good things that were just taken really good care of. You know, mm-hmm. like you said, with, with Mel's perspective, they came at it from a place of love, but also from a place of it is hard to be a caretaker and it is hard to watch someone you care about go through such hardship, you know? So it's like, they took, they took really good care of that. And I thought Matthew Lawrence delivered it beautifully too. um, In a very empathetic, in a very empathetic way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they end up going back to the hotel. Mel says he's just going to stay at the same place that they are so that they can all like be together. And Ray comes out of the room and is like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you guys called, came. Somebody just called. They have a tip of where she is. And Mel and David literally just immediately turn around and go back out. Yep. And this is where we find out that Sheila is living on a, on the street. She's like in an alley and she's she looks physically bad. Mm-hmm. And then when they get to her and Mel starts talking to her, like there's just no physical response to his mm-hmm. voice. Yeah, it's almost like she's, you know, almost catatonic yeah. in her state until David says, you know, mom, it's me, David. And he, and like, gets in front of her him. and, like, holds her hand and then, like, oh, my God, with the little, like, chin quiver when she heard oh. his voice. Yes. My heart. I know. That was beautifully done, too. Oh, it was amazing. And then they – they take her to a hospital. And so while she's getting treatment, this is when David asks if there's like a history of this mental illness, like who else in the family has been sick. And Mm kind of going back to what we literally just talked about, Mel says that David's great aunt was hospitalized and like they didn't talk about it the way that they did. So they can't confirm that Mm -hmm. she had bipolar disorder or manic depression, but that she probably did. Right. Right. I also think it's interesting to point out here that so often um, with broken families, which mm-hmm. I don't like calling them broken families, but blended families, let's call them that. Yeah, I like that. Um, but when there's a divorce in a family, it is very easy to fall into a, I'm only going to bad talk my ex and I'm mm-hmm. only going to bad talk her, his or her family and things like that. I think it's super easy. I mean, I've experienced it myself, but my point is, I think it was very, it could have been easy for Mel to just blame everything on, you know, that side of the family or talk poorly about 
quote unquote, that side of the family and things like that. But the way that he speaks about Sheila and then David's great aunt is just in a way that, yeah, they were once my family and now they're not. No hostility, no malice or anything. Just like this is coming from a place of I knew these people and now, you know, we don't. So. Yeah. I mean, I think this is like really emotionally mature that Mm -hmm. Mel even says later, he's like, Sheila's your mom. Like we might not be in a romantic relationship anymore, but she is your mom and I'm going to be forever grateful that she and I brought you into this world and that she did this for us. Mm -hmm. And he says like, we're going to get her back down to LA so that she's around us. She can go into like, he calls it not a halfway house, but she can go stay somewhere that's like has medical staff on site and they can help her, you know, get back on her medications, get her, you know, hormones level and help her find a job and help her find an apartment and like get back to quote unquote normal. Yeah. Whatever feels like equilibrium for her. Yeah. Equilibrium is a really good word for that. Because I also and really yeah, like I, normal. Yeah, right. I mean, normal is is relative. So right. I think you're right to say in, in whatever normal means for her, you know, because that may not be what's normal for David or, or Mel or Jackie or Kelly or whoever, but it's going to be a normal for her. Um, and yeah, I, I love what Mel said about the fact that he's always going to be grateful for her. Um, because I think that's the point. Like we know Mel... Mel is equally as conflicting as David is because we've seen him cheat with a much younger person on Jackie. And we've seen, um, you know, I guess his and Sheila's divorce wasn't necessarily pretty, you know, um, when David was in high school and we've seen, but we've also seen him be a good dad to Aaron and a good dad to David and a good stepfather for Kelly and like all this stuff. So I just, I really do think it's beautiful the way that he spoke about Sheila in this episode, because it didn't feel, it could very have easily felt fake and disingenuous Mm -hmm. just because of all that we know about Mel, but it didn't. And it was actually pretty sweet and shows that there is still love there. Even if it's like you said, it's not romantic love, but it's, it's a shared love because of David. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly it, which also, Mel has cheated on people, and this show is like, but that's not that bad because he's a good dad. So right. just, again, in this universe, people just cheat on each other, and we as the viewers are just supposed to move on as long as, like, the rest of them is good. And, like, I don't need to get on my soapbox about infidelity and whatnot, so I won't, but I just want to say, like, I sometimes get conflicted about it because I don't want to vilify somebody because like stuff happens, you know, does it mean if you cheated one time that you're the devil and you're the worst person? No, of course not. But I'm a person of empathy. I like to try to be. And I just don't like when people treat other people badly for no reason or for selfish reasons or whatever reasons you end up saying, like, whatever. But I, yeah, so. Right. I, I right, get like, so conflicted because <laughs> the and show the, says cheating is not the end of the world. And it's not, but it is. <laughs> right. That, like, and I think that's the only reason I bring it up because, like, 
I also have a soapbox that is standing right next to me and I'm ready to get on it if that's where Mm -hmm. we want to take this, but I won't. (laughs) But like, yeah, Mel is a great dad to David in this moment. And I mean, honestly, I'm really grateful for how this scene went and I'm going to leave it there. It's just like the thing in the back of my head that I just had to say out loud because there's literally a microphone in front of me. Maybe, this is the last I'll say on it, maybe (laughs) this is a way to appeal to people who vilify those who cheat, or at least say that if you're a cheater or if you have cheated, you will also do bad things. It is a gateway to other things or whatever, because so often, especially in TV and film, we do see the person who cheat end up being a bad person, right? Like, Maybe they weren't before they cheated, or maybe they always were, and the cheating was just an excuse to then go about their bad behavior. But maybe this is the point. Maybe Beverly Hills is trying to tell us, like, just because you cheat doesn't mean you're totally bad. You know, you are, you might be chaotic, but you are not bad, bad, you know? Like, I, I don't know. Anyway. Now, I, th- I think the show is definitely trying to, like, show us an alternative, and I'm still fighting it. No, I don't want it. I am that one salmon swimming upstream. (laughs) (laughs) So while David and Mel are at the hospital, like waiting in the waiting room to, you know, get to go in and see Sheila, we get to go back to Ray and Donna. And Ray is talking about how he wants to take Donna to to dinner after his show. And then he does that classic abusive thing and says what happened last night wasn't him. Mm-hmm. And then Donna makes an excuse for him and my heart broke. I know. I mean, he says a lot of things here, right? He says that wasn't him. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on him to make his tour work, make things happen is what he says. And then he also throws on that he feels guilty that he wasn't there to save Donna from the rapist, but David was. And that's where his hatred towards David comes from. So that's a lot to put on Donna that does not do anything to excuse the behavior. No, but it's it's very classic. Like, he's putting all of this pressure on her of, like, making all these excuses. And, like, now he's playing the victim so mm-hmm. that she'll want to comfort him and be like, no, you're right. It wasn't you. You do have a lot of pressure on you. Like, this is not how this week was supposed to go. I was supposed to go see all of your shows, and instead I had to spend the last couple of days finding a missing person. She doesn't say that last part. I threw that last part in. <laughs> she may as well have if she was so angry. You can tell she's tired. Like, you know, I, I, think, I think, unfortunately, it's pretty – I don't know. Easy is not the right word, but – for a woman to jump into a scene like this, I feel like, unfortunately, is all too, I don't even want to say the word familiar, but it's just, it didn't seem like it was that much of a stretch for Tori Spelling to be like, I know how to play this, you know, Mm -hmm. because she literally at first just sounds tired and then throws that bit in like, yep, I I, I know, I know, it's fine. Yeah, and she even says, like, all that matters is that you love me, which Mm -hmm. she said before when he tried to tell her about cheating on her. And Mm -hmm. I have to think that at least part of this is due to the fact that Donna knows that her parents' marriage 
is not like the most loving thing and that that's what she wants. Mm -hmm. And so she's like trying to make this work, even though like she was there. She's not dumb. I know she knows exactly what happened and she's making excuses for him. 100%. No, that's an excellent observation. I mean, if we do a character study on Donna, she just wants to be loved and she wants love modeled for her. And Mm -hmm. this ain't it, but she doesn't want to admit it. Yeah. And then she makes a comment about how she wants the rest of the week to be perfect, which I feel like is also bad because now she's putting a lot of pressure on the two of them to be perfect, Mm -hmm. which also goes into this making excuses for him throwing you against a door. Yep. So we go back to the hospital and it's that same hospital set that every single person has been in. (laughs) Yeah. I can't get over it. But I think Allison was here last time. <laughs> and Andrea before that. Mm-hmm. And she's alert now. She recognizes David and Mel. And she's like, oh, I feel like I've been asleep. And Mel was like, I mean, you basically were. Mm-hmm. And she says she's ashamed and, like, turns her head away to, like, physically block them from her sight. She's so ashamed. She doesn't want to make mm-hmm. eye contact. Yeah. But – David brings out this little tape and it is the cutest thing possibly like in this entire show when he hits the button and it's her teaching him how to play piano when he was little. Yeah, it was pretty dang cute and it was something to connect them. It was something to show this is where David got his love of music like yeah. That was a good thing to pull in, and they hug, and it, it's again Brian Austin Green, man. I just got to give him another like snaps for Brian Austin Green. <laughs> I know. And if you're watching this on streaming, this is where that part of the episode ends, and then we get the mm-hmm. scene of Dylan staring up at the moon. <laughs> what actually happened, which you can find on YouTube, Jamie Walters put it on his YouTube channel. I'm actually a little surprised it was only like 14,000 views. I feel like it should be a lot higher. Oh my gosh. But there's a missing scene where Donna is at Ray's club and he's performing and David shows up and they start talking about the tape. Like how, you know, he brought it out and he and his mom listened to it and it made him realize he wants to get back into music. Because he stopped playing music because he thought the music was making him, you know, act differently, act weird. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, I think he says in the scene, making him crazy. Mm -hmm. And then Donna's like, it wasn't the music, it was the meth. (laughs) Yeah, which truer words have never been spoken, Donna. (laughs) I know. And so he thanks her for all of her help. And then he asks her about what happened in the hotel room and if everything is okay. Short answer, no, but Donna doesn't say that. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, Ray dedicates his next song to her. She's looking lovingly up at him, and David kind of, like, bows out gracefully for, you know, lack of a better word. And he goes outside and looks up at the moon in Portland And then the episode's supposed to go, like, from the moon down to Dylan. Oh, my gosh. What? 
connections. That would have been such a great edit. I want that. I'm really upset we didn't get that shot. Like, David and Dylan are looking up at the same moon. (laughs) It's so romantic. It's just like that Somewhere Out There song from American Tale. Yes. Oh, my God. And, yeah, yeah, weirdly, the episode just randomly ends. Like, it ends back in the Dylan scene, but, like, I don't know why it just ends there. I guess, like, I think we talked about this off mic. It's not a cliffhanger, but it's kind of a cliffhanger. Like, I have to assume that very soon Dylan is going to go have another round of hypnotherapy and get into his coma dreams. And, like, that's going to be a big part of the next episode or the episode after that. They got to wrap it up soon. We only have, like, six episodes left. Only six. Do you know how much can happen in six episodes? You can join a cult and also leave a cult. (laughs) You can also, like, make an entire show and end an entire show in six episodes these days. And and, in this, like, 90210 is just going to have, like, finals week for six episodes. Hey, there's – nope, that's – almost said there's six days in a week, right? (laughs) Close enough. Close enough. I mean, there are Saturday classes in college. True. So, anyway, I think we covered everything. Um, I'm looking back at my notes to see if I have a guess for your quote of the week, unless we miss something. No, you didn't. Um, I mean, there's one that I liked, but it's not the quote of the week, but I still may mention that we didn't mention. But, yes, I have a definite quote of the week that we – it's part of the stuff we talked about. Okay. I have two. And that's it. <laughs> All right. You go first because I can't find anything. Okay. First one. Zing me. Dylan, Dylan McKay. <laughs> Second one. Also Dylan. He loves you not, but since you're here. Okay. I also have Dylan. Um, It's when they're uh, at the tattoo shop. And Val says, a tattoo gives a woman a feminine mystique. And Dylan says, we have plenty of mystique. Well, the second one I have, I don't, I didn't write the whole thing down, but it's while they're in bed and Val is making jokes about how Dylan is just like his mom. She's like, I'm going to get you a big crystal and you can rub it every night before you go to bed. And then he's like, you should get a tattoo of a crystal right here and I can rub this every night. And then they tumble (laughs) out of bed and make out and it was cute. So you guys both got it. (laughs) Um... We got Zing Me is the actual quote of the week, but I actually I was going to mention that I really liked when Val said that <laughs> she's going to get Dylan this big crystal and we'll hang it around her neck so you can rub it before you go to bed. I just, that was so playful. Um, and it still shows that Val and Dylan actually do know each other. You know, like they, they are more than just sleeping together. It's just Dylan doesn't really want to talk about it. <laughs> No, it's like they're totally in a relationship, but not in a relationship. Like it is truly friends with benefits, which like is going to backfire on them because I just, it doesn't work in media. It might work in real life. I don't know, but it does not work in media. This is like the trope of like idiots in love or whatever. It's like that thing of when two people love each other, but they think they're just friends or friends with benefits or whatever, and they haven't developed feelings for each other. And everyone around them can see it, but they don't, even though no one around them 
is well no one's ever around them so they can't see it but <laughs> if they were they would <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> word vomit yes <laughs> you know what it it was like it took a minute for you to actually have the execution but you nailed it story of my life <laughs> the story <laughs> of everything that pops into my brain I really love watching those two interact with each other. Yeah. Right? Like, they're so cute. And, like, I want to read fluffy fan fiction that's just Val Dillon. Oh, my gosh. You know, and I know, Mary, you've not watched this show. But I weirdly get Roy and Keeley vibes from Dylan and Valerie. Oh, that's interesting. Because think about how grumpy Dylan is around Valerie. Until he's not, you know, like he's grumpy, but then he like makes jokes about where her, what her tattoo should be and does cute things when they're about to bang and like all this kind of stuff. And then Valerie has just turned into like this sunshine around him constantly, (laughs) which is weird for Valerie because we know her to be chaos, you know? So that's what I'm getting. That's what I'm getting. That's fair. She's found, like, the one person that she can be herself and comfortable around. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's why I like them together because I feel like that's, like, as close to the real Valerie as we'll ever see. 100%. Totally. Yeah. I love it. Well, Mary, do you have a uh, moment of the week? Literally just Val and Dylan, like – in that Fair. scene with the bed, with them just yeah. being fucking adorable. Yep. They're so fucking cute. I don't know why Dylan was wearing jeans. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know why they just didn't give him jammy pants. Or no pants. Like, I, <laughs> I have to assume they were, like, concerned about exposure. So they were like, sure. you can't wear, like, boxers. Sure. But, yeah, like, pajamas. Like, remember when he was in high school and he just wore, like, those surfer track pants or whatever? Yeah. Like, at least put him in some of those. Yes. Yeah. He doesn't even wear jeans. Yeah, he's been wearing suits these days. (laughs) Oh, did he get rid of all of his surfer pants? He may have. He's like, I'm 20 now. I'm an adult. (laughs) (laughs) Suits. God, I wish he was wearing a suit in bed. Oh my gosh. No, like, just, no the tie. just the tie. Just the just tie. Just the tie. <laughs> he has to look professional, okay, Valerie? <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. Well, so what is next week? Next week is uh, Nothing but seasons. ties. Yeah, nothing but ties. Um Heart with Dylan written on it. Um season five, <laughs> episode twenty seven, squash it. I thought when you said that you were serious. <laughs> Heart with a little Dylan on it. See you next week. <laughs> okay, squash it. Squash like, it. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's okay. It's not Thanksgiving time. No, but David is going to try and squash his emotions for Donna. <laughs> I don't know. It's all I got. <laughs> I, I uh, propose that without looking at the thing that it will be um steve in a competitive squash game with rush i was gonna say brandon is gonna learn a new sport (laughs) i i was gonna say 
now I want it to be Steve and Brandon playing squash against Kelly and Donna. Ooh. I would love that. That would be good. I would love that. I would love that so much. It's not going to happen. That is that is a pipe dream, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. Yeah. So I guess we'll find out what happens next week. And until then, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at back to podcast. And you can shoot us over an email with any of your thoughts, your questions, your comments, or your concerns um, to back to goodness, back to podcast at gmail.com. That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to go into your podcast app and rate, review, subscribe, share it with your friends and family. All those things really help us get seen. They help us build a community. And then we can keep producing amazing content like this for you. And we'd really love it if you did that. So until next week, from all of us at Back to Podcast, I am the all-knowing guru of Malibu. Yes, I'm a heart with a little villain on it. <laughs> and I'm a really long twisty snake that ends in a butt cheek dragon. Bye. Bye. See ya.